0: power of God that what looks like custard what looks like rubbish uh, God can turn around he can use it for good and, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the gospel story that's the message of Christ and within the whole year of redemption we are doing this story of the prodigal son but as we've talked about it's not the story of the prodigal son it's the pro- story of the prodigal everybody, everybody. <laughs> sons yeah it's, it's two sons so we've talked about the, the two sons representing two groups of people and it's just like this brilliant, uh, profound theology and this crazy little story and which we're working our way through. So week one we did the introduction and the context, the lost sheep and the lost coin. Uh, last week we did disillusionment and exile, when home isn't good enough, uh, when it's time to leave home and when you're out of there. Um, this week we're doing homecoming, coming home. Uh, he came to a sentence, uh, senses, not a sentence. <laughs> Sen- that was like a combination of senses and repentance all in one word, it was, it was, it was awesome uh, then we're going to uh, look at uh, the kiss, the robe, the sandals the theology of grace, the father's heart so it comes through in that we're going to look at uh, the older brother, who are the modern day Pharisees and uh, that's going to be an interesting one, um, it's always really messing with my mind, preparing it and on week 6, banquet, we had to celebrate, I like a bit of a celebration, so we'll be in for that so uh, just a bit background, the, the, the reason for the parables and the reason we're talking about this. So Jesus is busting out this story because the tax collectors and um, the, the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So this, this group and the Pharisees, the teacher of the Lord, they, they were muttering. and They go, why the heck does Jesus even eat with these people? And so the parable is, is in a response to that, that Jesus would even hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Shock, horror. So we've got two, two groups of people. We've got the, uh, the tax collectors and sinners, represented by the younger brother. So we've got the wayward sinners and the immoral outsiders, the curious outsiders. And then we've got the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, which were represented by the older brother. Here's the, the, the insiders, the established, the followers of the law. And as we're going to be discussing around this, there's, there's two ways to be alienated from God and uh, so often we just think it's one way to be alienated from God but there's two ways and, and the tendency of the, the older brother is the people pleaser, the rule follower the one, the responsible person who, who follows all the parents' standards and the younger sibling tends to be the rebel the free spirit and the rule breaker He's got kids and uh, the rule keepers and the rule breakers. It doesn't always work out like this, but it's kind of the status quo versus the rebel, the accountants versus the artists. It's Prince William and Prince Harry. Okay? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's these personalities in here. And uh, last week we, we talked about the youngest son. He demanded his inheritance. And uh, the father, to, to everyone's amazement, you know, at the time, the father meets the demand, he divides his wealth, son leaves home, uh, heads to the bright lights in the big city, squanders his wealth and finds himself uh, feeding the pigs. Okay, so that's the, that's the background. This is today, uh, we're going to tackle four verses and Luke 15 verse 17 to 20, which is the homecoming and he begins his home journey. So let me read that to you and then we'll, we'll get into it. So Luke 15, verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Okay, So that's what we're going to discuss So let's kick off with He came to his senses And and the coming to the senses Is that epiphany, that aha moment That moment which the Alcoholics Anonymous, the AA And their 12-step program call The moment of clarity And uh, the ability to see clearly When you come out of the fog um, The dazed and confused And when the moment that the truth sets you free and when the truth it's often like it's a smack in the face, right? It's like, what the heck? You wake up one morning and think, why have I been going down this path? Why am I been thinking like this? And it's, it's that, that uh, healthy dose of self-awareness. Has anyone had those moments where you go, hang on, what the heck am I doing? And it's, and it's a shift out of denial and stop blaming others for everything and taking personal responsibility. And uh, it's out of that, oh, you know, the pig pen's not really that bad a place. It kind of, you know, I quite like the pig's food and it's, oh, it's all right. I don't know how I ended up here, but, you know, anyway. But it's that moment you wake up and go, hang on, this ain't doing me any good. And, and we need regular moments of clarity in our life, right, don't we? We need regular moments where we go, hang on, why am I heading in this direction? How have I found myself here? And uh, this is not working. And sometimes it comes... Uh, for some people, you've got to hit rock bottom, right, before that moment of clarity comes. Hopefully, uh, we are a little bit more self-aware and we can you know, realign ourselves along the journey and go, as we're maybe walk, walking out the gate or as we find ourselves in the bright lights in the big city or all those different times we go, hang on a minute, this isn't working. I need to actually uh, recalibrate, turn, move in the other direction. But, but this was his revelation. This, was, this is what the, the younger son says. He says, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And and, and there's that realisation that actually the father's house has an abundance of food even in the midst of a famine. And, uh, you know, in John 10.10 it talks about the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. The father's house is a place of abundance, and we we need to know that. We mean, that there's there's not like the the, the the fridge is full, right? There's there's food in the pantry. You know, Georgia, uh, my daughter, welcome back this weekend from Wellington University. When she comes home this weekend, I made sure that she's got some of her favourite food in the fridge. And so "Come <laughs> that there's abundance in the pantry. There's there's, there's dinner." She didn't know. Anything. <laughs> But there's food in the fridge. It's a, it's a miracle. Like she told me, she, she, she told me actually, Dad, I've got a little fridge in my uh, little dorm room in the, in the uh, in a dorm at university, and uh, nobody steals my food down there. She says it's amazing thing. I don't have any siblings who come and raid when she buys juice, and the other kids don't come and steal it from her. Um, but there's that realisation when you come home that the father's house isn't actually that bad. Is when you walked out the door that there is abundance in the house and it's coming home. And I, and, I, and I want to take a few minutes this morning to talk about home that place where we fit, where we can be our true selves, where we are accepted and we are loved. And we're, you know, because I think we're all searching for that, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. This is my, or, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? We all need that. And if we don't find that at home, we often try and find that in other people or other other things. One of the um, one of our programs which Priscilla and I absolutely love is David Lomas's The Lost and Found, or the, it's now he's warped it into this investigation investigates thing, where he, where he has creates these stories where people have. God, he doesn't create the stories. The stories are out there, but people who have been disconnected or lost connection with their family, and then he goes out on this, you know, search to find them, and then he reconnects them, and, and there's always this, like this, this incredible homecoming moment when when they embrace their dad who's been long lost or, you know, their mum or whatever. And these, you know, Priscilla weeps and weeps and weeps. And I, I might do a little bit of a sneaky tear that time. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Don't tell anyone. Uh, it's a secret, a secret. Uh, but that place, and, and no matter where they've been, and, you know, there's been complications and disconnect and messiness, but that homecoming moment, how incredibly powerful it is when they walk through it and receive the, the, the embrace, that moment of embrace. They always capture it so brilliantly. And, and, and that time, that finding home and, and coming home with that. But it can be such, this thing of home can be such a powerful but often elusive concept for us. Our understanding of home. You know, and we understand like the, the family home. And coming home, and and for some, it is a great place. Where, you know, when you talk about home, the fireplace, or you know, coming home, the food on the table, the what's there, the heat pump, the, heat pump <laughs> the fireplace heat pump hasn't quite got those warmth of feelings of warmth and connection, maybe. But you know, for some other people, home might be a place of you know conflict or um, disconnect, or church home, you know that we create church as home and in C3 we have this little catchphrase which which we sometimes use it feels like home and our hope is that when you walk through the doors of a 3 church that it feels like home you come into no ah, yeah that works and but i'm also aware very aware that for some church has been difficult and and there's been varied experiences of church and not all of them brilliantly uh, positive and not perfect. And my heart in this place is that we would do everything that we can in our power to create home. That when we walk in the door, think, ah, there's a friendly welcome, there's people, there's, you know, that connection. There's a good cup of coffee made for you. Thank you, hospitality team. You're amazing. It's in the back there. Always good. Always good. And let's create home. But, but church at its best, you know, at its best, church is, is heaven on earth. And we're called to bring heaven to earth. With that, it's the glorious bride of Christ. But church, you know, often it overpromises and underdelivers, and slightly disappointing. Has anyone found that around church? It's kind of like, ah, come on, God! It should be so much more, but it's not perfect because it's full of people, right? It's us, and we're not perfect. We get it wrong. It's like you and me, and we have to have realistic expect- expectations around church. I mean, let's do everything we can, but let's not create expectations that it's going to be, be perfect. Church is home. Um, the 20th century uh, philosopher, a guy by the name of Martin Heidegger, I think that's right, he's a German philosopher, and um, he, he believed all human beings were characterised by this word, which I'm not going to say correctly, but unheimlichkeit. Okay? Everyone's saying a good German accent, okay? Let's say together. All right. One, two, three. Unheimlichkeit. <laughs> You've got to get a clicker in the back there or something in the back of the throat to get that right. Um, and there's this thing of homesickness. And and it means to be alienated, to feel that we're not really at home in this world, to feel like we're in exile, that we're in a world that's profoundly at variance with our deepest desires. And I think with all of us, there's that slight... How do you find home? That place of connection. And and why would that be? And what are we going to do about it? And And I think, to be honest... These profound questions are actually addressed and answered by this incredible little parable. See, I think Jesus brilliantly tells the story and one of the main themes of the entire Bible is, is this thing of exile, it's homecoming, and it's followed by banquet. And you read that right throughout the Bible. There's, there's, the, there's the Jewish people. There's this exile. There's a moment where you go, disconnect. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's disconnect. there's exile. And then there's this homecoming. And then there's this moment of banquet. But the thing is that heaven is our true home. You know, we, we, we have a sense of home in our, in our families, hopefully. And we have a sense of home in, in church, hopefully. But the reality is that heaven is our true home. And, and the fullness of the promise is not on this planet. You know, right here, we are subject to decay, disease, sickness, and death. And though, you know, we attempt to make a difference in this world through what we do, there's always this slight feeling of frustration and disconnect, right? In and, and Hebrews chapter 11, um, the writer puts it this way. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is, is like the, the, the great faith chapter, and it lists all the great men and women of faith. And, and then it goes on and, and lists some other people who... who who um, were going after God but they were persecuted or they were, you know, sworn in half and tortured and all that sort of stuff. And, And Hebrews 11 verse 13 to 16 says, All these people, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're a foreigner and a stranger on earth. <laughs> you're you Foreigners and strangers. <laughs> People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. See, that, that's, that's what we're longing for. That's the heart of it, is, is, is we're longing, we're created for a heavenly home. We're created for, you know, direct connection and intimacy with the Father. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, God has gone before us to prepare a place. You know, in my Father's house, there are many, many mansions. That's home. That's what we are created for. That's what we're prepared for. First Peter two eleven says, "Dear friends, I urge you, as strangers and exiles." You know who's the strangers and exiles? We are strangers and exiles in here. That's us. We're only visiting this planet, right? This is not our true home. And and you know that's the largest story of the of the gospel message. You know that we are created to dwell in the presence of God, right from the beginning, the Garden of Eden. It's exile, homecoming, and banquet. And and you know, and when you read the end of the story, you know, sometimes you know any of those sneaky people who go to the end of the book just to see what happens. You know, when you, the book of Revelation, and in Revelation chapter nine, you have this this last supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which sounds really weird. But it's banquet. It's it's coming together in heaven. And only then will we be finally home, right? Only then will we be finally home. Okay, let's... Verse 18. Back to the prodigal son. Verse 18 says, I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Here is... He's he's come to a sense of this moment of reality and he's going to head home and and he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Ever... Has anyone ever done something dumb and had to go and apologise to your, to your dad? Or, <laughs> I know for me, one of my great moments, uh, I, um, I grew up in Blenheim and I was uh, 15 and I said, Dad, I need my driver's licence because we're moving to Auckland. So I got my driver's licence. Well, I didn't really get my driver's licence. This is one of the things. We had a police officer in the church and he came round to my house and he said, let's go for a drive around the block. And then he wrote me out my driver's licence, which was sweet when you lived in Blenheim because there's no cars, there's no hill starts, there's no traffic lights, there's no... It's, it's easy as you drive around. it's sweet. Uh, uh, problem was, six months later, we moved to Auckland. And, uh, yeah, we had a few moments... It's, uh, can we put up the next But This is my dad's car, uh, which is the old Chrysler Valiant Regal Hemi 265 engine, bench seat in the front, uh, and most of the time we drove my mum's little Toyota Corolla, but every now and then, every now and then, we were allowed to drive my dad's car, and, uh, and, and it was, you know, you felt cool when you're driving your dad's car, but unfortunately my driving skills transferring from Blenheim to Auckland were not really up to scratch, Well, they caused a few scratches on my dad's car. And uh, I remember one time, you know, crashing my dad's car. The insurance company or the panel beater made a lot of money out of me at that time. And uh, having to drive home. And and at that point, you're, you're figuring out in your head what speech you're going to give to your dad. You know, for I have sinned <laughs> before heaven and earth. <laughs> or there's the contemplation, is it a good time to leave home and to move to another country right at this point and uh, just get out of there? But there was times when, you, you know those speeches which go around in your head where you go, oh man, you've got to fess up. You've got to turn up and face the music. You've got to get there. And uh, to be honest, my dad was always brilliantly gracious and uh, just made me pay the excess quite often. And he uh, cost me a bit <laughs> quite often. <laughs> But the, the, the son, he makes this decision and he begins to prepare his speech. What is he going to say? He realises he's done wrong. He's sinned against his father. And ultimately, you know, when we, we read, talked about it last week, it's rejection. He's rejected his father. And now he realises he, he has to come home. And, and it's this, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And this realisation that it is actually against his father. You know, when you think of King David... You know, when he uh, slept with Bathsheba and then uh, had her husband killed, and then the prophet Nathan turns up, and I, I, I love in Psalm 51, verse 4, he says this Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And, and you think, David, no, you didn't, it was not against God; it was against Bathsheba's husband. You know, that's you, that's you, you're really dogged in, really. Let's be honest about it. But he's not, it's, it's no, I have sinned against God. I've done what is evil. And we've got to realise that when we sin, when we reject, we're reject, we rejecting God. We're rejecting his presence. And he goes on, he pre- he's preparing his speech and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And, and it's interesting here, that the, 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 it's a, there's two types of servants at this time. There's domestic servants who would live in the estate. And live on the on the farm, and they would be provided with food and board. And but the words which is used here make me a hired servant was like a day contractor, someone who would live in the close by village, and they'd come in on the on any day and do contracted work. But the, the, it was only hired for a for a time or a day or whatever. They weren't part of the family, or they they weren't one of the the household servants. And here the son is saying, man. A, he's thinking, if I can only just, you know, live on the peripheral, if I can just earn back favour, if I can just try and pay off the debt, I've got absolutely no right to come back as a son. And he said, let me just be the high I, I, I And, and so how often do we come back to God like that, right? He so said, I don't deserve to be son," But God's saying, no, and, and we we're going to get that into that next week because when we look at the father's response, and he res- when he re- well, not next week, in a few weeks, when he rehearses his speech. And then he turns towards home. And I want to talk to you about repentance. And um, see, what if, because you know, in church life, the word repentance, it freaks us out, right, doesn't it? Repentance, you know, turn or burn, repent. What if repentance is just turning towards home? What if it's just a change in direction? What well, if it's just that 180 degrees going, hey, rather than just continuing walking in this direction, I'm going to walk in this direction towards the Father. That I, I'll choose to seek out the, the Father. See, he came to his senses. And if you, want, if you want the love of God in your life, the gateway is repentance. And, and we don't often talk about it, do we? But Jesus did. He would say, you know, repent and believe. He would say, repent and enter the kingdom of heaven or repent that the kingdom of God is at hand. And and I think that repentance is kind of this gateway to the kingdom of God. It's a key. And, and, and it's not a not a weakness, but it's actually a sign of strength to be able to actually turn and go, hey, I'm going to head in this direction, to turn quickly and easily towards God to admit you're wrong and that, that confession of guilt I think is actually a beautiful place which we often wrestle with and we, we struggle with. And, and I don't think it's a, it's a one-off um, pigsty thing but it's, I think it should be just an ongoing just openness before God. You know, when we come together in worship just to be like, God, I'm here. God, I'm turning my face again towards you. Recalibrate my heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And I think that's what I, you know, that's part of what church is about. Just coming and presenting ourselves towards God is, is a beautiful thing. And it's, you know, we need to do that. Who, you know, who loves Google Maps when, when you're driving the car and you forget to turn at the right time? And it comes and just re guides you, you know, re- rerouting, <laughs> rerouting. <laughs> you go, all right, now get back on track. And, and it's almost having that little God conscious voice in the back and say, hey, no. This is the direction. This is the destination. This is where we're heading. We're heading back to the Father's house. And that voice which would call us to that place. And 2 Timothy 2, verse 25 to 26 says this it says, Opponents must be gently instructed. Gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. See, truth brings life. And that they will come to their senses. And escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to Israel. See, I love that. It's just, come on, that gentle Holy Spirit voice of God which would guide us in the right direction. So, so what does repentance look like? And I've put a few things together. For me, like, my dad had a moral failure. And, and I was often asked, as his son, people would, you know, sideline to me. So, so Glenn, uh, has, he, has he repented? Has he repented? And I kind of used to struggle with that question and trying to work out how do I respond to it because it's a, it's a difficult question of what um, repentance looked like. And, and here's kind of my summary of, of you know, 25 years later or whatever is, is there, that there are different stages of repentance. There's, there's from the regret stage, regret I got caught, to the realisation of the hurt and damage caused to genuine remorse, to healing, repair and reconciliation. It's a journey. It's a, it's not a, I don't think it's just a one-off thing. And, and let me give you four qualities of repentance, regaining trust. So number one is, is responsibility. First is responsibility. We must recognise that we have done wrong. You know, and here, here the, the prodigal son, he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He, he, he doesn't blame others. He doesn't... Make excuses. You know, you know well, well, I was, you know, having a bad day or, you know, I got a pop-up on my Insta feed and the boys were going downtown on the Friday night so I thought I'd join them in the big city. That's, they didn't get, you know, he didn't make those excuses. Um, I couldn't turn them down. he say, you know, well, God, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy with real needs. He didn't think, you know, I'm sick of sleeping in the bunk room with my older brother on the top bunk, giving me grief. I'm out of here. He didn't make excuses, right? He says, I have sinned. And, and the ability to articulate cause and identify why, what was going on inside at that time. The second thing is regret. Okay? That we must have true remorse for doing wrong and for the pain and the problems we've caused. Is there genuine sorrowfulness? Has the heart been humbled? You know, if we go back to, to King David, and, and Psalm 51 is, uh, on this is probably the most brilliantly written. Um, of of the Psalms. And and it's it's David's response to God after being caught out by the prophet Nathan and and his messing with Bathsheba. And, you know, we read that verse before, but Psalm 51 verse 10 says this, and it's this cry, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. How strong is that? It's like, oh, I... I want your Holy Spirit. I I long for your presence. And then Psalm 51 verse 17, it says this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. And and he comes into this place of brokenness. And and, and David is, is known as a man after the heart of God. He's known as this person because he comes back to that place. The third thing here is resolve. We must be committed never to repeat the act regardless of the temptations or situation. And to articulate, hey, what's different now? What do you know now that will cause you to act differently? This result of saying, no, nah, I'm not heading back there again. I'm heading in this direction. And the fourth thing is repair. And I think the fourth is probably the most difficult is to repair the damage we've done or at least do what we can to apologise directly to the injured Party. And, and, and it starts I think it just starts with empathy to, commu- to that ability to communicate the hurt that has been caused and we need to come to that place that's what repentance looks like and, and let me just I want to just throw in a little bit here the difference between forgiveness versus repentance you know that because we get this wrong in church sometimes I think see forgiveness takes one person well reconciliation takes two see forgiveness is something you give but trust is something you earn you know because we think hey if I forgive that person do I have to trust them again no 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 no, because trust is earned right trust takes time and and they're two separate issues and trust might never be earned you know in 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 an abusive relationship situation you're required to give that person. The Bible is extremely clear on that. That we have to offer forgiveness and allow that to flow. But it doesn't mean that you have to invite that person back into your world. And in fact, in some cases that would be really foolish. You know, John the Baptist, and when, when he's talking to the Pharisees and he, he's throwing some things out at them, but in Matthew 3 verse 8 he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, fruit is something which is produced over time out of character. It's a character thing and it needs to be coming out of that. See, with, with, with the gospel message and the prodigal son with this, God's love enables repentance. Okay? And it's let me try and get this right. It's, it's not um, repentance to earn God's favor and love. Okay. See, God's favor and love is unconditional, right? But repentance, repentance, and behavior change should be a byproduct of understanding the Father's love. When we get a revelation of the goodness of God, and the revelation that it should shift us, should open our hearts. It's not, but it's. Salvation is by grace alone. We cannot earn it. And we want to kind of develop it further next time when we look at the father's response. And and then also we look at at the older brother's respo- and his response to the father. Okay. Let's wrap this. Doing all right? <laughs> Last verse today. Get up and go. Turn towards home. So Luke 15 verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. So he has... He has this moment of clarity, he comes to his senses, he wakes up in the pig pen one morning, what the heck am I doing here, this is rubbish, my father's house has got some good food, I need to head in that direction, he prepares his speech, but then he actually has to get up and go. A bit of, sometimes we need just a bit of just do it, because how often do we vacillate at that point, Right? We have the momentary, oh, yeah, that's right, this is done. What am I doing this and I go, Oh, no, I'll just do it again tomorrow. <laughs> it's just, you know, because <laughs> sometimes it's hard, right? We think, oh, will I, won't I? I'm not sure. Will my father accept me? Will he embrace me? Will he Do they get the hence thing, <laughs> you know, get out of here? You know, we think, oh, man, my older brother, man, I can't face that guy. Why would I want to turn up if that guy's still there? And we vacillate. What will other people think? And we can remain trapped at that point with all those thoughts going around our head. And we need those moments where we say, right, I am going to get up and go, to return to the Father and walk in that direction and make that happen. Maybe we could have the band back up, thanks. And and, and that's where we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you there's got to be moments in our life where we come okay i 'm turning towards the father i 'm turning one hundred and eighty degrees to seek his face after that epiphany moment. You know I think as humans we, we have this incredible tendency just to wander, don 't we? We have an incredible tendency to "Ah I'll just head in this direction for a while, and yeah. You know, but I think God is calling us back to the true north, back to the Father. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe in this whole story that you're, you know, just looking, walking out the gate, maybe you're just a little bit peeved off at the Father or the older brother or whoever. Maybe the bright lights in the big city are, are there and you're just, oh, I just want, you know, oh, what's over there? Oh. <laughs> you know, maybe you're walking out the gate, maybe, you're, you know, in a party town, maybe you find yourself in the big stile. It doesn't matter where you are. Absolutely doesn't matter. All it takes is a moment of get up and go. They we just turn and go, okay. This is, and the acceptance of the love and the grace of the Father is right there at that point. Hey, why don't we just stand?